It's always uh, hugely encouraging when uh, you feel uh, God's put something on your heart and then in the uh, worship someone brings something prophetic that kind of confirms that. And uh, what Andy brought there about um, others would be blessed when we go back by what God does in us today. I thought, ka-ching! Because uh, I felt God put on my heart the, the subject this morning of speaking about comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have received. Uh, so I want to run straight to the scriptures uh, and just see what God's what got for us. So um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll just read the first 11 verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Father, I do pray that you would have your way with us this day. I thank you so much, Father, that you really do have blessing to pour out on us today. I feel so expectant of what you want to do. And I would ask you, Holy Spirit, please have free reign among us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be moving and speaking and helping us. You are our guide. You are the one who exalts Jesus and brings us near to the Father. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, please would you take us by the hand as, as, your, as your family today and, and lead us into the wonderful comfort that comes from God so that we may be more equipped to comfort others who themselves need that in the future. I pray, Lord, that nothing will distract or rob us or hinder us from every, anything that you want to do today. We 
we open our hearts to you even now. We, we open our hearts. We say, Lord, we want our lives to be good soil for the seed of the Word of God to, to fall, that, that there may be a crop of 30, 60, 100-fold from what we look at today. We, we commit this day to, to you. We commit one another to you. I pray for real fellowship together now around your Word, that we will feel ourselves, our hearts being warmed as you, Jesus, open the Scriptures to us by your Spirit. We ask you for that. We thank you for the Scriptures. We thank you for the way that they do shine a light on our path and help us. And we just ask you for great resourcing today amongst us as, as leaders uh, in churches. You've given us responsibility, Lord, but m more than that, that we're sons and daughters of yours. And we, we want to just be with our Father and to know his touch on our lives. So we ask that in and through the name of Jesus for his ultimate glory. Amen. Amen. So what I'm going to do is just try and take us through this passage, looking at one or two phrases, and then bringing some application to perhaps try and help us in our lives with what I believe the Lord wants to say. So the title for today is really Comfort and Apostolic Mission. Comfort and Apostolic Mission. And the first verse says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ. And the first point I just want to make is that genuine apostolic mission is not task-based only. Whenever we tend to hear the word apostolic mission, we can tend to think of things like uh, doctrinal defense or vision or pioneering or new ground or regions beyond or leadership or training, kind of expansion, uh, filling, advance, those kinds of things. But there is a word that also needs to fit very comfortably within apostolic mission, and that is the word comfort. It is an apostolic directive that Paul is speaking on. He's, he's even opening his letter with this theme, comfort. He's wanting to, to bring an apostolic flavor that makes the family of God know that they are not just people to do a task, they are a family loved by a father. And the theme of comfort is something very, very precious to Paul. As we go through, you'll see that he brings not out just of theoretical experience, but he actually opens his own heart. He actually comfort, comforts people with the very comfort he's received himself, which he goes on to then teach them about. He models what he teaches. I always find it very uh, touching that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, did not commence the resurrection tour arriving at a city near you. But first of all, he went and found a broken-hearted Mary in a garden who thought she'd lost the one she loved. It is not less than apostolic to care for one person. And we mustn't ever forget that. In the breadth of everything, God gives us and will give us, and I do believe he will do that, give us great breadth to what he wants us to do. But we must never lose the sight of the great multitude and the one, because Jesus never did, and Paul never did, and the flavor of the New Testament never did. Individuals matter. Comfort matters. It's actually what the gospel is about. <laughs> I kind of feel for us at the moment, we've, as I alluded to last night, we've reached this kind of base camp where the last two or three years, 
as the transition in New Frontiers has occurred, I kind of feel we're through most of that now, and we all kind of know a little bit more where we are, and there's still things to sort out and all the rest of it. But substantially, we've got ourselves up to base camp. We've got all our tents, our supplies. We've counted the yaks. We've worked out what's here. And we're kind of thinking, right, Lord, you've got us somewhere we've never been before. And then you glance up at the, the, the Himalaya before you, and you think, well, we've never done that before. But you've got us this far, and Lord, you're going to get us where you want us to go. And I kind of feel this weekend is, is the Lord almost wanting us just to press the pause button to, to, to tend to one another, to make sure we've got all the supplies in place, to make sure we're in good order, we're well prepared, ready for the climb ahead, that we tend to any wounds or sprains or, or exertion where people need to rest. We tend to one another because, brothers and sisters, there is a big climb ahead. There really is. And we need to take moments. The Lord himself has taught us the Sabbath rest principle, that if we just keep going and keep going, it's not good. Even God stopped one day in seven. And I kind of feel this is almost like a bit of a Sabbath moment for us this weekend, just to pause, allow the Lord to tend to us before we climb again. Comfort is an important part of the equipment we will need for the next part of the journey. It's not just something that you pause, look at, and then move on without it. We need to tuck this in our rucksack so that we learn how to receive comfort, how to comfort one another, and how to then comfort others in the future. It's the ability to feed on God and to remain in a good place in the midst of an arduous spiritual journey. This is a marathon ahead, not a sprint, and there are many twists and turns. And learning how to receive comfort is so important because actually, as I'll come on to later, the world out there is completely comfortless. And if we don't learn how to receive comfort from God, we've actually not got much to give people. As John Wimber used to say, you can't serve what you're not cooking. And we can give people theory about God's love, but we have to be those who know how to, go, how, to, how to cook the right stew before we can give it to people. So it's really important stuff. Verse 4, he says, we comfort with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, Paul is reflecting here on God's concern that we learn how to be comforted by him. I've come to the conclusion in the Christian life, and certainly in leadership, that this, uh, that, uh, of this, that most challenges on the climb in spiritual leadership are internal, not external. Tending our own well-being with the Lord, our own spiritual health, our own spiritual well-being, our own uh, walk with the Lord is by far the greatest necessity for us to be well-equipped for the journey. So it's important. Paul is speaking about a, a principle here. In verse 9, he says, even what they went through, but this was so that. He reflects with hindsight that the providential hand of God had been on him, overshadowing all the circumstances he'd been through, working strength and purpose and fruitfulness into Paul so that he may be more effective. God allows us indeed to face things 
so that we are drawn closer to him and we learn to draw more upon him. The Lord wants us to live a dependent lifestyle. In his love, he disciplines us, he deepens us, he's at work within us, he never finishes, he has such a tender father's love and he wants us to learn how to walk humbly and closely with him. Learning how to receive comfort from God and then give it out is actually what Paul is trying to get into their thinking. It's a bit like perhaps being on a plane and uh, the safety notices come at the beginning. In the event of decompression, put your own mask on first. And sometimes in leadership, I, I kind of get the impression, sometimes we feel we're running up and down the plane aisles, putting masks on people, saying, breathe, 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 forgetting sometimes we have to put our own mask on first. Because if, we haven't, if we're not receiving, we have nothing to give. It's not selfish, it's actually just learning how to give out of what God is giving into us. And Paul seems to be encouraging them to do that. And our very name as a family of churches that we've chosen to kind of uh, identify ourselves, relational mission. Well, amongst other things, it, that must create a DNA where there's an acceptance of uh, one another, a care for one another, a comfort of one another on the journey. If it's just about mission and there's no relationship, something's wrong. If it's just about relationship and no mission, something's wrong. If you put the two together, you have something approaching, I believe, New Testament DNA. I read a, a, a tweet that was put on actually by the Ipswich Church, and I liked it so much, I put it in here. It says, if we share our resume, we invite comparison. If we share our vulnerability, we invite community. And Paul is modeling vulnerability here. He's saying, I want you to know, I want you to know that we learned how to receive, so I want you to receive comfort from us and do the same thing, live as we have been living. And my, my kind of hope and dream and aspiration for us as a family of churches is that Anybody and everybody feels so welcome among us because they feel the fatherly, family DNA of New Testament love. It's a beautiful thing to feel part of God's family and to know he cares for you. In verse 8, he says, we were so utterly burdened. My goodness, this is quite a statement. We were so utterly burdened. This was a season of great pressure for Paul. And he felt it was actually more than he could handle. The point I just want to make is, if Paul experienced such times of pressure, we shouldn't be too surprised. I mean, ours may not be so as severe and extreme as his. It may not be, but it may be. But we shouldn't be too su surprised when pressures, afflictions, internal burdens come into our lives. We shouldn't be so surprised at that when we're in leadership because if, if it affected Paul and we read through the New Testament, it affected many others. It affected Jesus. We shouldn't be too surprised at that. I would recommend to you, uh, Mike Frisbee wrote a paper uh, on the Think Theology website on suffering and I've uh, uh, pinched one or two of the quotes here, which I really liked it. He said, Paul's life was one long experience of suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. <laughs> it's 
Nevertheless, his life and ministry were full of signs, wonders, and extraordinary miracles. I like that. The commentator Barrett says, Miracles were no contradiction to the theology of the cross, which Paul proclaimed and practiced, since they were performed not in the context of triumphant success and prosperity, but in the midst of distress and vilification he was obligated to endure. Wonderful. And Paul shows us that there are things that we need to be able to grasp about God and uh, in order to navigate well uh, as leaders. He shows us that we need to be able to understand and have a good grasp of the kingdom now and not yet. So we learn to live with the mysteries and perplexities of life, sometimes seeing healing break out on one, ki- on one side, but grief on another, breakthrough, restraint, answered prayers, apparently non-answered prayers, all these things. We've got to become good at handling that. We have to have a theology that allows for failure and to be able to understand the kingdom has come but has not yet fully come. We've got to be able to navigate that well. We've got to have a good grasp of the character and nature of God, knowing whatever happens, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. If there's a problem here, it's not with him. Never to robustly anchor ourselves in the nature and attributes and character of God. And we also have to have the ability to say, it hurts at the moment. To have that vulnerability in appropriate context to say, do you know what, I'm rejoicing in God, but this hurts. This is what Paul's doing in this opening chapter. He's saying, I love God, I love what he's called me to, but this hurts at the moment, this hurts. And I don't want you to be ignorant of it. I want you to know it. I want you to see and to feel it. So I can model to you something of what it is to draw on God in the midst of difficulty. In verse 4, he says, the God who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, I looked up the word affliction. I'm not a great Greek scholar whatsoever. I always remember dear Arnold Bell saying, never trust a man who quotes Greek. So I don't intend to. Um, but I do have a good dictionary. And when I looked up how this word is used in different contexts, there are, there are three examples of what this word affliction can mean. Uh, first, there's, there's kind of what you might call a pressure, where something is constricting. It's like a, like a, a narrow place you might walk in, uh, something that hems someone in. Uh, uh, tribulation and internal pressure that causes someone to feel confined or without options. There's an internal thing. Second word is, a, is similar, compression, tribulation, carries the challenge of coping with an internal pressure of a tribulation, feeling there's no way of escape. Best way I can illustrate that at my own expense is some years ago I, was, I went to try on a pair of trousers in a shop uh, and uh, it was in the days where fashion was moving so that trousers, jeans were becoming tighter around the leg. So I was in a bit of a hurry. I thought, well, I won't bother to take my shoes off because, uh, no, you, all right, you know where we're going. Uh, one set of trousers off quite straightforwardly. Trousers on, not such a good idea. Uh, and I felt without options. Uh, <laughs> feeling there is no way of escape. Uh, uh, no, fortunately, I did escape. But the point was, at my own expense, humorously, there are these 
more serious things that come in our life and we can just feel things are closing in and closing in and you think, I cannot move forward, I cannot move back, I cannot move to the side, I cannot get out of this, I cannot get into it, I don't know what is going on. I am afflicted. The other word is, is one that focuses more on external pressure that's applied by circumstances to us. So there are both internal pressures and external pressures, all of which are included when Paul says, in all our afflictions. It's an all-embracing word he's using. God who comforts us in all our afflictions. I think that's very reassuring that there's nothing God looks at and says, well, no, I don't comfort that kind of a problem. Or you sort that one out, you got yourself into it. it. There's nothing that God has that kind of attitude to. In fact, it says he comforts us in all of our afflictions. And often in a gathering like this, I find in leaders' gatherings, one of the things the enemy likes to do is to say to each of us, you are an odd one out here. Everybody else is normal, you're not. Listen, there was only ever one normal human being, and his name is Jesus, and he's sorting the rest of us out now, right? No one here, with all due respect to you, is normal, right? We are all dysfunctional, some more than others, some more obvious than others, but that's because a lot of us get good at hiding it. That's all it is. And the enemy really has a go at that. He says, well, God comforts all afflictions, but not yours. You're a bit odd. No, no. God comforts us in all our Your unique circumstances that have never been repeated in the whole of human history, even those, even those, you can't come up with anything that God neither can comfort nor wants to comfort. Isn't that good? What a God. All embrace, all our afflictions, even the ones we think, I'm not sure if this is an affliction, but it hurts me. I mean, we live in the first world. When I sometimes go to my, our dear friends in the third world, into the developing world, as it's called more properly now, and be with Edward and all his dear friends in Kenya, and I think first world problem, third world problem, first world problem, my coffee's gone cold, third world problem, my coffee crops failed. I think, uh, I've got an affliction. Oh, God, my coffee's gone cold. No, I d there are differences where we live. But even that, God is merciful towards. I mean, really, even that, he's merciful to first world afflictions. Now, there are things that go right across every kind of culture and, you know, difficult stuff. But what I'm trying to say is, even the stuff that matters to you that might not be an affliction to someone else. If it is to you, God cares about it. So broad is his mercy. He's the God of all mercy and comfort. Such a breadth. Now, Paul's afflictions were both at times ongoing and seasonal, which is another thing we need to be aware of. Paul had his ongoing thorn in the flesh. Now, whatever that was, we do know this. Paul expected God to deal with it and was surprised when God didn't. He applied the normal kingdom of God principles to this thorn because he prayed about it, pleading with God three times. That's a man expecting God to do what he's seen him do before. Yeah? 
but it didn't, not, it didn't respond to the normal kingdom of God principles. And Paul, as far as we know, for the rest of his life and ministry, had to live with an ongoing affliction that God gave him comfort and grace in. Here, he's in a seasonal affliction. I want you to know, brothers, when we came to Asia, we were so burdened. Now, later on, the burden lifted, the affliction changed. Brothers and sisters, within this room, there will be a mixture and within our lives at different times, there will be mixtures of both ongoing things that do not seem to have a resolution and may not even have a resolution and seasonal pressures which come and go through the various seasons of life. Even those all afflictions, God comforts. There's, not, uh, there's nothing that is outside of his care is the point I'm trying to make. God is actively pursuing, bringing you and me comfort. He wants to do that. He doesn't even wait for us to pray the right prayer or even to feel our need of it. He is pursuing our comfort because he loves us. Now, some of us, I don't know, may, may, there may be all sorts of things that we're facing today. I don't know, in a, in a room like this, uh, leadership's complicated. Life is complicated. You put leadership on top of it, you think, dear Lord, I find it hard enough to live. Never mind lead anybody. Leading myself is the biggest challenge. <laughs> be glad if I do that well. There might be all sorts of things. There may be a difficult person who's opposing you in church life, someone saying things about you that are not true, pressures of rumors about you in the local community. There may be a ministry venture that you've stepped out and it's not going as well as you thought, some kind of disappointment. You might be planting a church and you've just learned to close your eyes in the worship because opening them is so depressing. I mean, the, it might be more personal than that. It might be that you're, you know, one of your children's away from God or has got some kind of troubling issue in life health-wise or educational-wise or being bullied at school or you might have your own health challenges physically, mentally, emotionally, feeling pressure, trapped, uncertain, without options. There may be financial pressure that you can't easily resolve, weights of anxiety. Even, some, even leaders carry, can carry for years some kind of false guilt or shame about something that happened years ago that's forgiven, but you were responsible for it. It has had consequences and you can't change them, but somehow you can't, it afflicts you. There's so many things that can be afflictions to us. And for Paul, it all mounted up in Asia, in his Asia season, to this statement, which is the most vulnerable statement I think a leader can make. We were, in verse 8, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. It doesn't get much worse than that. It really doesn't. But I get so encouraged reading that because it makes me realize that at times in leadership, you can be doing the right thing in the right way, with the right motives, with the right call, the right will of God, and this statement will still feel close to how you feel. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sometimes. Affliction is not a sign that you failed. 
It's not a sign that you're lacking in faith. It's not a sign that you're not walking in the victory. It's a sign you're following Christ and your frontline troops. I mean, if you were the enemy, what would you do? Go for the leaders. Because if, if he can take you and I out, that's a really strategic uh, gain for him. Really strategic. And the enemy is not stupid. He's many things. He's not stupid. He really knows how to wage a war. In Psalm 64, verse 2, I was reading this the other day, and there's this prayer that David prays, and he says, Lord, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. I really mean his secret plots. He's cleverer than, he is cleverer than I am. He's cleverer than you are. But I just, I'm so thankful that I've got someone on my side who's even cleverer than him. And can outsmart the outsmarter. Can outwit the outwitter. So how do we receive comfort then? How do we receive comfort? Well, I think there are three ways. Firstly, we receive comfort by going direct to God the Father. In, God, in verse 1, uh, he says, um, sorry, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul directs us to the Father as our primary source of comfort. Because when we touch the fatherhood of God, we, when we talk about comfort, we are talking about something that's fatherly, a merciful father. Perhaps to illustrate it, um, this, this helped me. Uh, the other week, um, my wife Sue and I were around our son, uh, son's house with, uh, and his wife, and uh, we were just talking to them, and they were just talking about their holiday in the summer. And uh, um, Hannah, his wife, said, um, oh, Sam, why is it you, you seem a bit nervous sometimes when you fly? Uh, and he said, well, I don't know if I do. Well, I sort of pretended he didn't. Uh, and then, and then uh, my wife said to him, yes, but you never seem nervous when you fly with Dad. And he said this. He said, oh, it's all right when Dad's there. I know he'll take care of everything. And I thought, I thought not at 38,000 feet, I won't. But if, <laughs> <laughs> but if it helps you, it's fine. But I, I remembered that, and I thought, you know what? Every Christian should be able to think to themselves, it's all right, Dad's here now, he'll take care of it. I just think that's such a lovely expression of our relationship with God. It's okay, Dad's here now. If one of my great heartaches when I look at the broken world we live in is that so few children actually know how to say that in reality. It's okay now, Dad's here. He'll sort it out. But as Christians, that actually is absolutely the case. And he can sort it out. That's what's even better. He can sort it out. And what Paul is saying is, go to the Father. Get your comfort from the Father. It's okay. In all our afflictions, it's okay. Dad's here now. He'll sort it out. It's very simple, but it's incredibly powerful. Just to simply learn to walk with our Father and to let our Father. I found myself praying the other day. We had an elders' prayer meeting, and I said, I just found myself praying. I said, Father, we're your boys. I thought, 
I like that. We're, I'm one of your boys. And the more we can cultivate a family, and understand what I'm saying, it's not a gender thing, you know, you can, it's a lady, I'm one of your daughters. It's, it's a family thing God wants us to really get hold of. Because it's from the father, the whole family on earth derives its name. If we've got anything to say out there, it is there is a father who loves you and there's a family he wants you to be a part of. That's actually what the gospel is. Jesus died on the cross. The justification he brought for us was not the end result. The end result is adoption. Justification is marvelous. And if God never did anything else for us, that's worthy of all our worship forever. But he didn't stop there and he didn't have to adopt us. He brought us into the adoption as sons due to his good pleasure and will. He wants a family. He wants a family and he wants sons and daughters because he likes it. And Paul says, go to, go to the Father. When you're afflicted, go to the Father of all comfort. He can do it. He can say things. He can whisper in our ears things that just make us go, I don't understand what's happening, but it's okay because you've now spoke to me and I'll just leave it with you. It's as simple as that sometimes. I don't know what I'm doing, but I trust you. That'll do. Dad's here now. Do you get this? I mean, so, uh, if some of you end up leading churches of thousands of people, you need to be very good at saying, it's okay, Dad's here now. I mean, even if you're only leading a church of 30, you still need to say that. It's not about size. I'm just trying to say, that if we get busy, don't lose the simplicity. It's internal. Go to God. Oswald Chambers said this. Oh, I do like this. There is no responsibility on you for the work. Every leader would say, praise God, read it again. There is no responsibility on you for the work. The only responsibility you have is to keep in living, constant touch with God and to see that you allow nothing to hinder your cooperation with him. I like that. I like that. My chief pursuit in life is to stay close to my father and to do nothing that will hinder my cooperation with him. He will take care of the work. What a liberating statement for any leader to get into their heart. Have you got that? It's a big deal. That doesn't mean we can then be irresponsible. And we might like to feel like it sometimes. But it just means we're not carrying things that are his. Next we can receive comfort from the scriptures. I'm so thankful in my early days of my, my, my early years of being a Christian, I, I got quite involved with the Navigator's system of uh, Bible meditation. And ever since when I became a Christian at 17, right through to today, every day, I, I, ev my lifestyle has been to meditate on the Scriptures, journal what I find, and simply pray it back to God. I, I, I don't know any other way to be, and I don't want any other way to be. I just buy a page a day diary at the beginning of the new year, start working through uh, Scripture, and just journal what I find. And I, I, I'm a simple person. I'm not an academic. I don't read huge numbers of books, but I do know this. If I learn to feed myself on Scripture, it nourishes my soul and gives me something to then give others. Spurgeon said, I would rather my soul lay a soak in a single verse of Scripture 
than rinse my hands in a couple of chapters every day. I <laughs> like that. I like that. Only Spurgeon could get away with that. <laughs> every one of us can lay our soul to soak in a single verse of Scripture every day. If that's all you read, just let it, let it soak in you. The Scriptures comfort us. At a recent apostolic team meeting, uh, Tom Shaw just was having to mention that he, it struck him when Jesus was on the Emmaus Road talking to those who, who, who were hit, his identity was hidden. When he was about to reveal himself, instead of going, ta-da, look, I'm alive, he began with Moses and opened the Scriptures to them. And it was the Scriptures that made their hearts burn as the Holy Spirit got hold of the Scriptures and God used the Scriptures to bring revelation to them. God is still in the business of bringing revelation to people through the Scriptures. We must become more and more comfortable saying, it is written. Post-modern world, it is written. Post-Christian world, it is written. Post-anything world, it is written. The Scriptures are God's authoritative definition of truth, and everything else is judged by them. And that's how it will always be. If we lose our confidence in the Scriptures, we are in big trouble. Jesus was confident enough to bring revelation of who he was after his, revelation, uh, after his resurrection, not by firstly demonstrating his physical appearance, but by opening the Scriptures to those who were looking for meaning in it all. No, it's got to be contextually applied. We have to become very good at knowing, you know, we're, we're like missionaries who've landed in an unreached people group at the moment. We really are living in England or the UK or even mainland Europe, any of the Western countries we are from here, it is as if we've been dropped into an unreached people group and we have to figure out, now, how do I open this in this culture? So you, where, do, where are my touch points for, where you, for the questions you're so we've got to be contextually relevant, but we mustn't lose confidence in the Scriptures. You think, well, I can't preach that because people won't like it. Well, find a way that they do like it then. Find a cultural touch point that appeals to a felt need and then bring it in. Bring the plane into land when you've built the runway. Don't crash land it. The Scriptures bring comfort. I've been so helped sometimes by just getting hold of some verses when life is difficult. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You know, wh when I was a young Christian, I brought into my Christian life the belief that if something was going well, sooner or later, something would come along and spoil it. Scripture straightened me out. Do you know why? Because weeping may remain a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's how it is. God wins in the end. We know how it ends. Scripture straightens us out, straightens out all our skewy thinking. 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. We're going through a difficult time. You keep praying that back to God every morning. It just does something to your soul. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. What comfort that brings. 
2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I mean, that's a gold medal. It's fantastic. I do feel sorry for people who question the authority of Scripture and the nature and character of God and they and they try to just, oh, we can't say that and God can't be like this and we can't like that. They're trying to make God in their own image. They're not satisfied with God as how he is. Let God tell us what he's like. Don't redefine him. He is who he is. And then we can be comforted by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The, the scriptures quicken something to us. The Holy Spirit gives us comfort as we turn to the Scriptures. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will use each one of us to bring wisdom or counsel or insight or some kind of prophetic input. The Holy Spirit uses each other to bear one another's burdens, to carry each other along, to bring the immediacy and comfort of the Holy Spirit's activity in our own lives. We need one another. We need one another if we're going to do this journey. Climbers are roped together for the safety of each other. And the Holy Spirit uses each of us to bring comfort. And then there's the laying on of hands. I, I, I just, I've been thinking a lot about this this year. As we've done these Presence of God tours, and we're coming up to our last one. We'll have done nine this year. Now, our last one's next, um, next week. And one thing I'm observing is how important the laying on of hands is in New Testament ministry. We, we tend to think rationally and think, well, when I pray, I need to put all the words together and come out with a good prayer to help you by my vocabulary. That's because we live in a rationalistic world. But sometimes impartation through the laying on of hands, even without words, is just as powerful, if not more powerful. We mustn't rationalize how we bring comfort. The Holy Spirit, we are... We carry the fragrance of Christ. We are his ambassadors. We carry an anointing that we can impart to others. And out of what we've received, we can give. Peter and John at the, at the temple gate said, well, silver and gold I haven't got, but what I have, I will give you. There's an impartation. So let me just bring this into some application for our, for our own lives in terms of the mission of comforting others by those in leadership. Verse 4, remember it's not just a river that flows in, so it's like a dead sea. It says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Whatever God gives to us of goodness, he wants us to give out to others so that they may be blessed because we've been blessed. As Andy brought that prophecy, uh, God's going to uh, others are going to be blessed through us from this weekend because what, of what God blesses us with. That is the way it works. What I have I give. What I've received, I give. It's a, it's a generous thing. It's a sharing thing. So, two things to this. Firstly, comforting God's family and then comforting those who are not part of God's family. Just very quickly. And then, then we'll, we'll see what the Lord wants to do among us. When it comes to the comfort of God's family, the churches that we serve, we are not advice dispensers. We don't have to have the answer to everybody's questions or problems. And actually, it's very good sometimes to say, do you know what? I, I absolutely don't know the answer to what you're going through. Uh, but I, I, I've also been through things that I don't know the answer to. 
So can we walk together and let's pray for you that God will help you through this rather than just trying to solve everything. We just don't know. Don't try to fix everything. Let God do that if we don't know. We mustn't make others feel that what they tell us we're looking down on. We mustn't look shocked and think, goodness me, you did that. We mustn't view them as weak and stupid. And No, we're to comfort others in the same manner and with the same supply we have tapped into. All of us have a valid, God-soaked, authentic story. And as his ambassadors, we can take our story and we can honor what God is doing in us and through us and use it as a way in which God can be glorified. There is power in learning how to receive from God in our story, and there's power in using our story in the lives of other people. Words are cheap, but a testimony that's from a life that's lived something is very powerful. It's interesting, when Paul was before King Agrippa, he didn't see, say, right, this is an important meeting, I'll just get all my commentaries together, uh, just get a few advisors. He said, he told King Agrippa his story. He said, King Agrippa, this is what happened to me. There's something powerful about our story. Never despise your story. I think sometimes uh, we can think to ourselves, well, if I'm sharing the gospel with someone uh, uh, who, who, who doesn't know, my, my story's not really very exciting. I need to spice it up a bit with something. Or, or even we're, we're talking to someone in church and we think, right, I, I haven't actually been through what you've been through, so I need to sound as if I've had something almost as significant as this. No, just your story is God-soaked. It's God-soaked. There is a thread of grace that goes through every one of our lives here, and it's what the fact you know Jesus at all is an incredible story. It's incredible. If God never did any other miracles, there is no greater miracle that once you were dead, now you are alive. Once you were blind, now you see. It doesn't get any better than that. And however that happened, tell it how it happened because it's the power of God to salvation. It's your story. It's your story. People are actually, in our culture, influenced more sideways than they are top-down. If you ask, if people listen to a politician or someone in authority, their immediate response is cynicism now. That's sad, but that's true. You look at how many people refer to TripAdvisor before they book somewhere. Why is that? Because they trust sideways influence. Our stories are sideways influence. They are not top-down authority influence. And that's how I think if there's one key that God might give us into the culture as it presently is, it's not to create a top-down way of communicating and influencing the gospel. It's creating a sideways influence that people are more used to Social media is sideways influence. Do you kind of get that? So our stories, our life stories become more and more important in the culture we live in. Because people are looking for authentic life. They're looking for authentic models of how to live. So your testimony of how you've even been married for a long period of time happily, that's extraordinarily rare. If you go in, uh, it was our 25th wedding anniversary a few years ago, we just had our 29th, praise God, but we had our 25th a few years ago, I went in to buy a card, they haven't got any. I don't, 
They've got no 20, well, they've got some in a cupboard here somewhere. They've rooted, oh, we've got two or three. I thought, man alive, what is happening to this nation? It's just so unusual to find anyone who's made it that long. And people want stories. How did you do that? How do you do that? They want stories of life. And if you and I as Christians often take for granted the incredible um, success of being able to navigate life well through the gospel, to raise children, to have a solid home, to be able to just manage your finances well, to, to do life well, that's a powerful thing. To be sympathetic to another's suffering and just to share, well, the Lord helped me with this way. This is my story. To quote again, I believe, from um, uh, Mike Frisbee, he said, It's important to remember we are not called to live out our faith in an, in an individualistic, isolated manner, but in the context of the people of God. Our own experiences of suffering tends to engender compassion and empathy towards others who are suffering and make us better able to help them. Indeed, Paul reminds us that the purpose of our receiving God's comfort is that we can comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. Sympathetic assessment of another's suffering, not to mention the offer of effective relief, is more likely to come from those who have suffered than from those who have not. And in these days when people who are suffering are so quickly referred to an expert counselor or professional, and sometimes that is the right course of action, perhaps we need to give greater consideration to the untapped wealth of comfort available within our churches. Larry Crabb, the well-known Christian author, reflecting after 25 years of involvement on the front line of Christian counseling, draws two important insights. One, the power of individual believers to release the life of God to others. Say that again. The power of individual believers to release the life of God to others and the desperate need for genuine Christian communities. Our story really matters. Or extraordinary resources within ordinary believers that have the power to heal relationships and help people. The greatest need in modern civilization is the development of communities. True communities where the heart of God is home, where the humble and wise learn to shepherd those on the path behind him, and where trusted strugglers lock arms with others together on the journey they are on. And lastly, comforting those that are outside of Christ. And this I feel so stirred about more and more, more and more. I feel whatever strategy or vision the Lord gives us as a family of churches in the future, I feel more burdened and stirred and desperate in the right way before God that we are utterly missional than I ever have. I, ever, I feel personally more and more stirred. I want to share the gospel with people. I want to pray with people. I want to take steps. And I'm, try, I'm learning. I mean, I'm probably the world's worst personal evangelist. I really am. I, I just don't do it right at all. But I have a go. And I've been having more of a go this year and last year than I ever have before. And I, I, I put my best evangelistic trousers on and I go for it. And most of the time people say, nah. I think, well, I'm going to, I'm, because I'm burdened, we are in a lost world. 
We are in a lost, broken world. When we had our apostolic team meeting just last week or week before, I can't remember what it was, and we were praying about the, the conference coming up next year and the kind of flavor that we want to bring through amongst us as churches in this next, what does the climb ahead look like? Thinking about what does the mountain look like? I think it's about this. It's about God helping us build a church for the broken world. We've had 30 years or so of very, very good investment in diligently trying to build New Testament church principles. Diligently trying. I don't think for any, any minute we've got it right. No one's got it right. We are doing our, we're diligently trying to build church on New Testament principles. We've been doing that for 30 years. And that includes evangelism and all the rest of it. I believe now it's not time to be polishing the furniture and looking at what's been built. It's about now, now an ark's been built, let's populate it. Let's, let's, the church has got to be there for a broken world. We've got to get out there. I've even said to, to Rob Tevert, who's doing the, the, the Who Cares thing, and I, I do commend what Rob has done there, just seeing the grace of God on him, just to, you know, to, to really do this whole thing Norfolk-wide. I said to him, because I, I'm, I, it's not my bias, so I said to him, look, I want you in my face for evangelism. Do not let me take my eye off the ball. So let me say that to all of us. Let's not take our eye off the ball. We are here to reach the thousands of people out there who don't know Jesus and are going to a Christless eternity. That is why we are here. That's why we are doing what we're doing. And I feel more and more and more stirred about that than I've ever felt in my life. And if relational mission means anything, it means seeing thousands of people saved. Amen? That's what, that's what we're here for. And I just want to see that happen more and more. I kind of feel... I was stirred the other day just talking, talking to my son again, who's, who's a teacher, and he just said this little, little throwaway. Just sometimes people say things, and God just goes in your heart. And he said, most of the people I teach don't go home to normal anymore. And I thought, man alive. Most, most of the people I teach don't go home to normal. Those of you who are teachers here, you agree with that? They, they don't. It, there's no normal. It's not, it's gone. Dear God, help us. We've got the answer. We've got the answer. I love the bit in Scripture where it says the apostles went out and he worked with them. He worked with them. He's going to have to really help us. <laughs> because I don't know how to do this, do you? But neither did they. Neither did they. But he worked with them. One of our neighbours, I, I, I felt God give me a prophetic word for her a few months ago, and I thought, oh, this will be interesting. Because, uh, you know, I don't know. If it's your neighbour, you it's like you're not, it's not that you're never going to see them again, is it? So you think, well, this is a bit tricky. Uh, anyway, I, I said, look, I said, you might think I'm completely weird. I said, I, I hope you don't mind. But when, you know, I just felt the Lord wanted to say this. I said, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And I just felt he... Um, loves you, and he, he wanted me to tell you this. Do you know, as I told she just started crying. She just started crying. And I thought, oh, right, uh, quick, no, alpha leaflet or something. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I th no, it, wasn't, it, wasn't the, it just wasn't the right time for that. But I, I said, are you, are you okay? Because uh, obviously I thought, oh, goodness, I've upset her. Um, and she said to me, do you know what? I mean, this, this is it. She said to me, I'm just so touched that somebody cares. I mean, I didn't have to know what to do next. I still don't know what to do next. 
I still, but she knew I cared. Another one of our neighbours is a, um, an ex-heroin addict. He's been 30 years a heroin addict. Man, he's hard work. Just chaotic life. But I love him to bits. And sometimes he'll text me every five minutes. He even rang me last night here. I, oh, Lord. I, 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 and then I won't hear from him for like three or four months. So, oh, is he dead? No, no. He just, it's just like chaotic life. You're trying to get him to come to church. It's like, forget it. It's just like, he doesn't even know what day it is often. And, I, and I'm thinking, Lord... I really, I don't, I don't know, but he worked with them. There was another one of our neighbours who was an alcoholic. Now, you probably think to yourself, <laughs> <laughs> you probably think to yourself, man, you, I'm not going to move in a neighbourhood like yours. Let me tell you this, they're living all around you. They're living all around you. Some are just better at hiding it than others. It's everywhere. Brokenness. Utter, utter brokenness. It's desperate out there. Desperate. And I remember saying to the Lord, this guy was hard work. And I remember saying, Lord, uh, this is a dangerous thing, so forgive me. I don't know if this was the right thing. I don't know if this was a wrong prayer. I don't know if this was wrong. But I did it anyway. And I said, Lord, I don't, know if you can reach him. I, I, I mean, I sometimes talk to the Lord like that. I, I, I think he quite likes it. Um, because kind of deep, because kind of deep down, you know, he can. But I just wanted to, I, I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, do you know, within six months, he was on an alpha course. I mean, <laughs> he came to the alpha thing. And he's an alcoholic, so he was just kind of, you know, going all through. I thought, you're not going to understand Nicky Gumbel by the time we get to the video. Because it's just, it's just like, we were doing it in the pub, you know, and that's not the best place to take her. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> I mean, now he, <laughs> I, I don't know, I mean, his life's so chaotic. You know, even he used to come to church and he disappeared and all the rest of it. Um, and I, I'm not in touch with him now. I don't know whether in his own simple way he came to the law because, you know, so, his life's so, so, so broken. Just and there's no normal to even, you know. Um, I don't know where he is with the Lord. But I did feel the Lord say, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> now, I'm, I, as I said, I'm the world's worst personal evangelist, as those stories will just tell you. But I am committed to that journey. And I want us all committed to that journey because whatever else is going on in church life, if we take our eye off that ball, that is not New Testament apostolic Christianity. The apostles went everywhere sharing the gospel and building healthy churches. The two go together and comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have received is a gospel, gospelizing thing. Because there's no comfort out there. There's no comfort out there there. Our society sells pleasure but never delivers. So people are just getting more and more broken and frustrated and desperate. And I'm convinced that the ordinary stories of ordinary people with ordinary lives will bring extraordinary blessing in this nation. That's my, that's my strategy. That's my strategy. Ordinary people doing life well under God's government sharing their stories. That's why when I say to us, it's really important we learn how to receive comfort. It's not an internal, 
me, 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 me thing. It's not an individualistic me and Jesus. There's an equipping that goes on that we might be even more fruitful. The two go together. God comforts that we might comfort. He blesses, God our God blesses us that we might, ble- the whole earth, the whole ends of the earth might be blessed. I think I've kind of got there. Um, 